Hey, this is Matthew Timmons. Uh, if you like this podcast or, you know, any of the other things that Insert Blanc gets up to, you should know that Insert Blanc Press is running a Kickstarter campaign uh, starting June 26th and running through August 3rd, 2015. So go to kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash Insert Blanc Press to find out more. We're raising money for the press and our general projects division, including raising funds for this podcast, The People, and for our new exhibition space, Outside Gallery, as well as some exciting new publishing projects and other new initiatives we're working on. I mean, it would be great if you could go to kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash insert blanc press and donate to the cause, and we've really got some good rewards there for you. Donate a dollar or donate a thousand or even ten thousand dollars or... Really, just whatever you can afford, and show your support, and keep listening to the people. Welcome to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Our guests today are Richard Jackson and Sinead Finnerty Pine. Richard Jackson was born in Sacramento, California in 1939. He was one of the artists included in the 1992 exhibition Helter Skelter at the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art. His work is featured in numerous group exhibitions, including the 48th Venice Biennale. Jackson's work was the subject of a retrospective exhibition entitled Ain't Painting a Pain in Orange County Museum of Art, recently. His solo shows include Richard Jackson Car Wash at Cab Art Center in Brussels, Belgium, 2014, New Paintings at Hauser & Wirth, London, England, 2014, and Accidents and Abstract Painting, The Armory, at the Armory Center for the Arts, Pasadena, California, 2012. Part of the thing is, when things go wrong, everybody gets nervous if they're if there are anybody, if there's anybody watching. For me, that's when the fun starts because as an artist, you get to be creative and try to solve those problems. And it's a lot more fun solving those problems, you know, real problems, than it is trying to balance an abstract painting with a little more of this color or that color. That's just, that's over. Sinead Finnerty Pine has been the assistant curator, gallery manager at Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena since 2007, and is currently an MA candidate in the Museum of Curatorial Studies program at Cal State Long Beach. She's produced a number of exhibitions and projects with artists such as Richard Jackson, Bruce Nauman, Barbara T. Smith, Yoko Ono, and Chris Burton. Also, her curatorial projects include Richard Jackson, Accidents and Abstract Painting, The Armory, 2012, She's currently organizing a nine-part series about the cross-disciplinary nature of painting entitled Expanding on an Expansive Subject. So I'm working on a thesis right now, and the topic is this kind of discourse about contemporary painting today and its relevance. Is its relevance only because of its um, connection to the market? And there's a kind of a symbiosis between the patrons and collectors and the museums and the art market. Richard's work calls into question the systems of value that art occupies in in a consumer-based society. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. It's like a broken record, magically repaired.
You can listen to the people on the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Richard Jackson and Sinead Fennerty-Pine, welcome to The People. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So maybe we could start with you, Sinead, describing your working relationship with Richard and his work. Yeah. So um, Richard and I have worked together on a couple of projects now over the past few years. Um, In 2012, um, Richard uh, did an incredible project at the Rose Bowl for the Pacific Standard Time uh, Festival, which was called Accidents in Abstract Painting. It was amazing. And um, basically, um, we worked together in that capacity for about a year, I'd say. Um, And there was an exhibition that followed the performance. Um, So I really got to see Richard's style of working and um, work together from sort of start to finish on a project. And um, Irene Satsos is the uh, director of gallery programs at the Armory, and her and I co-curated the exhibition with Richard and uh, organized the performance. And um, and then the car wash is a, a piece that we also worked on just recently, uh, last year, um, which was just an outgrowth of my interest in his work and um, a sort of rare occasion to be able to have a connection to my husband's work as well, which is um, he installs and repairs car washes at automotive uh, dealerships throughout Southern California. So um, I was at Richard's exhibition at at ACMA, his uh, retrospective, and I turned to Jason and said, can you run paint through a car wash? And he said, sure. And I just thought, okay, Richard might be interested in this. So a couple days later, I, I connected with Richard and I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in a car wash? He's like, well, sure, I've thought about car washes, but, you know, it's not something that you can kind of get your hands on. And I said, well, I I happen to have a connection, (laughs) and would you be interested? So um, a few days later, Jason and Richard are driving out to the desert, picking up a car wash, and uh, (laughs) the rest is Richard can tell you all about. (laughs) Um, What I did is I converted the car wash um, into a machine that destroys cars. And um, I put shot put balls where there were brushes to polish the car. Actually, it was a polisher. Yeah, right. And um, <clears throat> and I think I think the reason they wanted to get rid of it is probably it, it was at a car, like a Ford agency. And I think they probably scratched a few cars with it. And I decided it wasn't worth it, that they could just do it by hand. But um, I turned it into a a device to destroy cars. And uh, the idea is that um, it was a performance. uh, Most of my work is performative. Um, It's like performative painting, um, real action painting. And... um, the idea is is that collectors would buy a new car, it had to be new, and then I would run it through uh, the car wash, and then they would get a sculpture. And the like the the wheel at the top that polishes the top of the car, 
um, you change that somehow because it's got like spikes, like spikes. So yeah, yeah. instead yeah. of polishing the car, it leaves uh, yeah, it really scratches the car. Yeah, it really <laughs> scratches. It's, the car. And there's a video of it on online, but it's very, it's very satisfying to see the thing getting. It's and there were a lot of Fiats, right? Yeah, they got the cheapest cars. Right. Could. <laughs> I mean, you know, these people don't have a lot of money because they're uh, generous. Right. <laughs> but even even a Fiat, it was nice. It was like sort of satisfying to see that, like the shot put balls smashing, smashing in the headlights. But it was, I got to say, personally, it was even more satisfying. There's a shot of you opening the side door and then just like heaving this, this bucket of paint. And it just like, oh, this pristine new fiat interior it's fantastic i kind of converted it i added some tanks so that i could put the three primary colors in and um pressurized them um with the unit the unit had like an air uh system on it so i pressurized those tanks and then that would put the paint out on demand, we had a button that controlled it. So it was a little bit, you know, it wasn't completely out of control, but um, but then again, it was. We, you know, yeah. it, it's no fun if everything goes well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, part of the thing is when things go wrong, uh, everybody gets nervous if there if there are anybody if there's anybody watching, or if there's an audience or something, they get real nervous. But um, for me, that's when the fun starts because as an artist, you get to be creative and try to solve those problems. And it's a lot more fun f solving those problems, you know, real problems, than it is trying to balance an abstract painting with a little more of this color or that color. That, that, that's just, that's over. You know, I always have the same problem. Uh, the first problem is you have to protect the floor. Yeah. Everybody worries about the floor. It, the whole art community, gallery community, and museum community, they have a floor fetish. <laughs> they don't care what you do to the walls. They don't care what you do to the ceiling. But the floor, they worry about the floor. And then the permanency of my work has always been a problem. Like, yeah, like the early wall pieces. Like yeah. that's, they're there. They're on the wall. Yeah, painting, you know, put a, putting a painting on the wall, like, uh, you know, kind of customizing an abstract painting or a performance or evidence of a performance <clears throat> onto somebody's wall, they have, to, they have to decide that it's permanent and that they can't take it off and resell it. And what always happens is um, that work doesn't sell, and that's the reason. And uh, oftentimes I've measured everything up and given them a couple choices in drawing, proposals for works. And then what always happens is they pull me aside and say, did you ever think that you could cover the wall with some sort of plywood and then at the end you could take it down and you could move it? And what the answer is, do I look that stupid? Yeah, never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the job of an artist is, to, is, I think, is to affect some sort of change. And if you can't do that, then uh, you can't do it. But uh, there's a museum in, in Germany, in Berlin, that uh, built a wall over it. And then they can take the wall down 
put the wall back up. So it exists behind. It does. Yeah, it exists. Yeah, and then uh, then there's a collector who uh, is in Vancouver that has done the same thing. Huh. So, but that's it. Well, and beyond beyond like that piece, uh, the your your show at uh, Orange County Museum of Art, a lot of those pieces were destroyed afterwards. Correct. Yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah, in, including the dog. And also, a oh, lot of pieces were recreated for the show specifically. So you re- yeah. did a lot of recreations of yeah. works from the '80s and the '70s. Yeah, I did. Uh, that was kind of like a retrospective, and um, so I did old work. I. I don't like to do old work uh, because um, because I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like a guy came by the other day and we're, uh, we were working and we had, to, you know, like a big heavy equipment out and we're working in the studio. And the guy comes, a new neighbor comes around from in back. He just walks in. He's got his dog with him. And he said, um, gee, I'd like to bring up a couple names from the past. You know, he says, I'm a painter. And, and I said, well, you know, we're really busy right now. And then he said, well, I'll come back again later and talk about the old days. And then I have this guy that helps me. He's, I think, 30 years old or 28 or something like that. And, and when this guy walked off, I said, I don't want to talk about the old days. I want to talk about tomorrow. You know, I'm too old. And t- <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Um, the you know I, for me I think uh, I think the old the good old days are yet to come. So, but you know the project I have now I'm I've been working on it for three years. Not 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 steadily, but that's uh, the tank. Yeah, yeah, the motorhome. The motorhome. That's right. Yeah. What what is yeah. it? Homeland. Wait, Mobile Homeland Security. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. That was a working title at one yeah. point. I remember. Yeah, that and. Uh, I'm not sure now uh, what the title is. I think it's like a war story because there's a lot of other objects that go with it. So, um, Can you describe it or do you want to keep it under wraps for now? No, no, no. I can describe it. I, it's a motorhome and I, I'm turning it into a tank and it has a turret with a cannon, uh, you know, like a tank. And it has, um, it has a cannon in the front. And then it has seven paintball guns, mm-hmm. and that stick out of it. And then inside, um, I've remodeled a bathroom, and um, and then and then there's um, the occupants are are uh, sex blow up sex dolls, and um, so it and then the it's all in kind of pastels and everything, uh, mm. and purple and pink and. It's it's like a gay uh, version of the military version. Do you have a place? Know. Do you have a plan for it? Is there an exhibition that it's going to be? No, uh, I don't have a plan. You know, the, uh, I think uh, it's. I, I I'm not sure. You know, the, the things have changed in the last in in you know last couple few years. Like the money is so high. And and it's so different now than it, than it was, not too long ago. Everything has turned into uh, the flat work, flat paintings, and that hang on the wall. You know, we were talking about, you know, the permanency of my work, but 
really what's happened is is that these people who damn near broke the world economy are now involved in the art market. <clears throat> and and so the art market's changed. These people just want paintings. They want they want work that they can um, speculate on. They're buying a lot of paintings by 40-year-olds. And, and they're manipulating that market. They found an unregulated market that they can manipulate, just like they do the stock market. And they think they're smart, you know. They they don't know anything about art, but they think they're smart because they've made a lot of money. But my my view, in my view, you know, and I've observed this, um, they're not so smart. My parents, neither one had an education at all, and they invested in the stock market and made money. But the but the gallery in the market has sort of. Uh, decided to supply these people with what they already think they want and and give them huge art fairs where they can you know right yeah all show up and hang out together and just could... point at things on the wall and say i'll take it yeah no right. <laughs> uh, no 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 run in and buy something before someone else does right okay. it's very competitive <laughs> yeah and um I was going to say we were at one point in the game. There was a, sort of an idea that Richard had to was to do the car wash at an at an art fair, and I thought that would have been pretty brilliant. But maybe uh, would they have to... let you got to get away with that? No. <laughs> there, there were talks. There were talks with no. a particular one, but it didn't. Things didn't. It, timing was off, and there was a lot right. of you know. Um, I think this actually worked out for the better. That would have been. That noisy and messy. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would have, have been, been great. They would have locked you up in a room to, if yeah. they let you do it. For good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, I think uh, I, I have another piece for an art fair, and you know, it's really about 75% finished, and that is it's a dunk tank, you know? It's like right. I dress up like a clown, you know, that I look like an artist. I have a beret but and a beard and a ponytail. <laughs> and then... Um, I, so I look like an artist, and then then collectors can get, you know, at an art fair, they can give the gallery money, and then they can try to dunk me. And then I can insult them, because that's what goes on. You know, like the clown always insults a person throwing it, you know. So it, it could be really good if they would do it, but they won't do it. You don't think so? Nah. They said they would, but they didn't, you know. It's just not going to happen. Oh, you mean they wouldn't allow you to have it? But, but do you think that the collectors, thems- if you got this thing set up, it feels like the collectors would just love oh, to do they, that. They, yeah, mm-hmm. just, oh, yeah, maybe they could, you know, like break my arm or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's too many liabilities. Maybe they wouldn't actually do it. You're listening to The People on Kchung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And hey, if you're listening to this show, uh, you should probably know that Insert Blanc Press is running a Kickstarter campaign uh, that starts uh, June 26th and runs through August 3rd, 2015. You can find out about it if you go to kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash insert blanc press. 
We're raising money for the press and our general projects division, including raising money for this podcast you're listening to right now called The People, and uh, also for our new exhibition space, Outside Gallery, and some various other new initiatives we're working on. So it would be great if you could go to kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash insert blanc press and donate to the cause. We've got great rewards uh, there for you at all kinds of different dollar amounts. Donate a dollar, a thousand dollars, or really whatever you can afford. And just show your support and keep listening to the people. Thanks. Now let's return to our conversation with Richard Jackson and Sinead Fennerty Pine. I'm trying to involve more things in painting than just paint and canvas. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the canvases on the wall were a kind of a deliberate gesture, you know, to turn the canvas around. And I don't know, I, I guess um, my involvement with cars is, I, you know, I've always had one. I live in Los Angeles. You know, it's a car culture, pretty much. Um, it's a city designed by uh, contractors. So the blocks are the longest blocks in the world, you know, so they don't have to subdivide and spend a lot of money. So that's the reason you can't get anywhere in Los Angeles. Um, so, but the other thing is, is that it's, a, it's an object, you know, it's like when I described what the car wash, how it was going to be performed, I said, you know, that they have to have a new car. Well, I thought... Um, I thought that might turn into a competition, you know, like these people are competitive, you know, like one person would bring in a Fiat and another person would bring in um, maybe a, a larger car and we'd get up to, you know, and then, then a big shot would bring in a Ferrari. But the thing is, is that they don't, they aren't competitive. You know, that's the whole thing is, is that they're, um, they're sort of, um, I mean, that's that's the way they do business. They all get together and they cooperate with each other. And so they all got fiats because it was the cheapest. But the thing was, is that they said, does it have to be a new car? And we're having this conversation and right by an artwork by, you know, Thomas Hazago that costs like probably close to a million dollars. And we're talking about a fiat that costs like, Twelve thousand right. dollars, and and it's just like it's that's the they're materialists. They yeah. just don't get it. It's a cheap price of admission, actually, for for a piece. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Twelve thousand dollars is nothing, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And to, in the art market, so I think the thing that the, the the only good thing is is that you know because I'm trying to change painting and I'm, the way people look at painting and the way paintings performed or whatever more as an event. The thing that that was successful about it is is that I did do it and I did change their minds about the whole thing because they bought the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't pay anything for it. They paid five thousand dollars, but uh, I didn't want to store it, and uh, nobody wants it. Like it was going to go to the dump. So, in a way, I did change it. They kept all the cars. They kept the floor. And they kept the car wash. So, uh, and now they're trying to. This is really the best part. They're trying to donate it to a museum. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. So, is the car wash has the has the plate been? I mean, I, I liken this to printmaking in a way because it created multiples. It was a machine that created multiple things, and that's different for you. You haven't. I don't. I mean, I haven't seen another work 
most of the work is one-off productions, but did is the plate plate kind of struck now, or will there be more cars down the road? I'd fire it up if they wanted to. You know, I mean, they bought it, and uh, if they paid me to go and do it again, it'd be great. You know, in another venue or wherever, you know, at another event, it would be great. But uh, I don't think that'll happen, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I did do the the piece that was at the Orange County Museum. I, I think I ended up doing that five times, the painting with two balls. Mm-hmm. And, and that... that, that there's a few things uh, in that retrospective that were a real struggle. That piece and then the corridor that was the painting corridor. Right. That, that thing was... A struggle just for the amount of work involved? or Well, yeah. You know, originally I did it when I was uh, 31 years old, and, and now I'm 75, and it's hard to push that thing through. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like... Uh, I, the, the hallway size canvas that yeah, pushes through the maze. Yeah, yeah, you can't get any traction on the floor. And, you know, and physically, you know, I'm not the same as I was. But... Um, I was able to do it two more times. Right. So. And crawling into that sideways car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, not yeah. not the easiest thing. Well, that and it's a pile of junk, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it, a pinto, right? It's a pinto, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it never starts, and, you know, it's just always a project. This... But somebody bought that, too. The museum bought that, too. And they paid $5,000. Um, Wait, $5,000 for the whole piece? Yeah. Uh, but I was happy to get rid of it. Um, there was a time when, um, there was a time when I couldn't give it away. So $5,000 is giving it away. We could have yeah, pitched it is in and it bought it. Yeah. Three yeah. Of us. I'm thinking the same thing. Save up a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's a storage problem and it's, you know, and, and a museum did buy it. So they'll right. show it again. And it's a museum that'll show it again. You know, it's in Ghent. You know, it's, I think, the best museum for contemporary art. I think Belgium is the best place for contemporary art. The Belgians just love contemporary art. You know, they're not afraid like we are here. It was funny to watch the people there um, observing Richard um, while he was destroying the cars. It was like a cocktail party, and everybody was in fancy dresses and, you know, holding their champagne glasses and... It was a very calm crowd. I, I in the United States, I think people would be like, "Woohoo!" Like really getting into <laughs> right. it, like we did at the Rose Bowl. Oh yeah. But this crowd was very demure. But they were they were taking it all in. It was equally as I think effective. I just think that their reaction to it was just sort of calm and I don't know. It was it was very different. Um, and I and I thought that this was a really laborious process for Richard and so I know that uh, that question I had about would you want to do it again it even just observing it and watching him do four of the five cars I mean I had anxiety by the end of the night it was just it was it was very intense process I mean pushing the cars in getting the machine ready listening to this loud destructive sound yeah in the video you can hear see people again. like plugging their ears yeah. right yes yeah and then they had they did that let's see you did one test run in the morning uh like a prototype and then three that evening mm-hmm. and then the next day the last one that was intense <laughs> yeah it was a lot of work and um <clears throat> but it, it, all the projects are a lot of work for different reasons like the airplane at the rose yeah. bowl was a lot of work because it wouldn't fly Right. You know, like the, yeah. the, the tail came off. You yeah, know? that was brilliant. But it yeah. was, you know, it was like when you when you look at the and it was getting dark. You know, it was in January and it was days are short and it was 
threatening to rain and so on and so forth. But I think that's all part of it, you know. It's it, it's what makes it different, you know, is that the tail falls off, you know, and 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 you know, and then everybody runs out with a bunch of tape and super glue and stuff. And when you see that plane flying on the video, you see all that stuff. You just wonder how it all hung together. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about that project, I. I know you don't want to talk about the past too much, but I can't not talk about this. Because I went to CalArts uh, 01 to 03, and uh, the first visiting lecturer was you. You probably don't remember. It was like a little two-hour thing, and it was like brand new to Los Angeles. And like you you presented, and this was, I have to say, this was September 20th, 2001. It was like a week after Mm -hmm. you 9-11. And you showed your old work. And then you were like, what I'm working on now is this plane that I'm going to crash into. And I think you said, I'm going to crash into an art school. <laughs> and, and you joked, you were like, you're like, oh, nobody here works for the FBI, right? <laughs> and we were all, it was too close. It was too close right after 9-11 for us to be like, no, don't, don't, don't. You'll go to jail. This is Guantanamo. Everyone was just like, I guess. Like, seems a little, like it hadn't really, like the full... George Bush thing hadn't really like sunk in after that. Um, but am I remembering this correctly that you had a full size Cessna? I or... do. Yeah, I still do. Okay. Yeah, I still do. I, I, I have a full size Cessna that's radio controlled and I'll fly from the ground. That's the one. So you obviously and were just after. Like... I'm after a place to do it. And I have been, you know, for a long time. I own the piece, you know, and uh, unfortunately, and it's in storage with everything else, but um, it, yeah, the idea is to fill it full of paint, just like the one at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and crash it, and and then that's not going to happen because it's just not going to happen. You know, right. there's plenty of places where it could happen, and there's plenty of pe- people who could make it happen, but that's not going to happen. Not not in, not in this atmosphere. Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, that was, in fact, how Richard proposed when we asked him, you know, if he had any ideas for the performance festival. He said, I want to crash an airplane filled with paint. And we were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But again, and he said, no, it's not going to happen. But I have another idea. And that's where the modified, you know, the 12-foot wingspan model airplane, which really was huge and gave that illusion of a real plane. And when it came crashing into that canvas. So satisfying. It was so satisfying. It's going to be hard to do anything like that anymore because the... You know the FAA is going to—they're going to monitor you know model airplanes because the drone thing is a huge, huge thing. Oh yeah. right, yeah. Even in the since 2012, that's become like the term drone, like a remote a remote control helicopter with a camera on it is now a is drone. now a drone. Yeah, right. And definitely like an eight, like a 12 foot wingspan A10 warthog. Yeah. Remote control like flying look. it in a public building place, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's like it's so crazy, you know, because we got away with one. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and, At the Rose Bowl, a very yeah. public place in the city of Pasadena, right. they signed off on it. Right. Yeah. Near yeah. near JPL. Like that was mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. And then the, the the in Sierra Madre where I live, they they have this little crappy paper that comes out once a week and they have an investigative reporter who wrote this whole thing he went out and talked to the fire chief in pasadena and he the police department and who authorized this whole thing and i thought god you know i live in a town with ten thousand people all of them 
boring. <laughs> and one person stands out, you know, for something that happened, and they they have to investigate it. It's just crazy. <laughs> it is the most exciting story coming out of Sierra Madre. Well, yeah, though, to that be might fair, be it, to be but, fair. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Since somebody threw a pizza on the front porch, you know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go back to the question which relates to what we were just talking about, which is the, the, the sort of public spectacles that have been a new part of your practice, which most of, throughout the years you have asked the spectators to use their imagination to complete the work, and, and that's changed for you. So I'm wondering why, um, if you can talk more about why you're more open to it being public. Only recently have I done those things with observers or whatever you want to call them. Uh, because um, it kind of demystifies the whole thing, you know? Like if there's a whole bunch of smashed cars in this machine, I think that their imagination, uh, what they would imagine happened and what really happened, their imagination would be, you know, far more outlandish than what really took place, you know? So uh, in a way, it's it's uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, is that they get so nervous when things go wrong, you know, like they're standing there and they start to feel sorry for you. And then this guy had planned all this and it didn't Poor work guy. and so on and so forth, you know, and I'm having a great time. So that makes it more interesting or more if, if people are nervous or they're, they feel sorry for you or you're, there's more pressure, that's better for you. No, so I don't have any pressure. You don't have any pressure. No, it's whatever it is, it is, you know, like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It never has not worked, but... Um, but you know, that's part of it. You know, I go to museums and I look at crappy paintings all the time. Nobody's there to excuse themselves or, you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody says, Hey, this didn't work. I know it didn't work. I know a lot about painting. I know a lot about painting. I know so much about painting. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It has, you know, if you can't be involved in something where you can learn something, from the process, then forget it. There's you might as well stay in bed, because and so so you know. I mean that's part of it. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you don't feel pressure because when when let's see, I got there on Monday. You you were already there. No, I got there on Tuesday. The car wash project was on Thursday evening, and the car wash had just arrived on Tuesday, and there was two days to get this thing up, floors laid machine inside with this giant crane, um, installed, set up, tested, and then do a prototype in within two days. I think that's remarkable. And I, I think we were all feeling the pressure for you. I think it's amazing that you yeah. don't feel it. No, no, I don't feel it. You know, if everybody came, the car wash was sitting out in the street, that's okay. That's part of the process. That's the information, you know? And, you know, uh, I think, uh, I mean, that was a logistics problem. You know, I had trouble with the people here. You know, they wouldn't let me handle it. Uh, they wouldn't let me load the container, and then they loaded the container, then they forgot about the container, and then, you know, and then it had to go to, I don't know where it went, to London, and then it went to somewhere else, and then, and that was just, that happens, you know, and then all of a sudden it turned into a big deal and it costs way more money. But that's what the art world loves. They love that. Oh, you can't believe, you know, the opening was 7 o'clock and we were there and it's 6.45. You know, 
touching up the walls and it was so exciting and we got it together big deal photo finish you know you should have started sooner you should have worked harder at the beginning you know come on this is lame (laughs) you know i know you go to work at 11 and you get off at five (laughs) (laughs) so part of the reason that i'm doing these questions today is not only working with richard on the car wash project which was hugely rewarding but also i'm working on a thesis right now um, for a master's program in curatorial and museum studies. And the topic is this kind of discourse about contemporary painting today and its relevance. And is it is its relevance only because of its um, connection to the market? Um, so it's sort of a fetish, fetishized commodity object. And there's a kind of a symbiosis between the patrons and collectors and the museums and the art market. So some of my... Richard's work will be a chapter in my in my thesis um, because it calls into question the systems of value that art occupies in, in a consumer-based society. So that's where these last series of questions will, will kind of lean towards. So I just read a Washington Post article that said that there's two views of the art market today. One that argues that the market has nothing to do with what artists produce, and the other that says that the art market is ruining art as a cultural practice. Which side of the story do you subscribe to? I think uh, I know the answer. But. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think what's happened is that, uh, well, I mean, you can see it in, in the type of work that was shown, you know, in the recent past and the, and the kind of work that's shown now. And, uh, and I, think that, I think the thing is is that nobody wants to change the way collectors think. They don't want it. That's too much work. See, with my work, what has to happen is someone has to champion my work. They have to take a collector and tell them, you know, this is important and give them the reasons. I, don't, I can't give you the reasons, but, but, you know, that's their job. And then they say, think about it. And then what they do is they get back to them in six months and says, have you thought about it? You know, I want to, you know, bring this up again and so on. And then it takes a long time to to get somebody, you know, on board to buy something or get interested in it. So when you can sell a bunch of those, you know, paintings, you know, the thing is the collectors don't have to know anything. I mean... Abstract painting, you know, and and action painting hangs in motel rooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like it's a, a familiar language they understand, and so you know you can sell them and they and they can speculate on them. And the thing is, is that it's changed what the galleries show, but also it's changed what artists make. So you know, so now you have a bunch of artists, younger artists who came into this thing, and, and there's a lot of money involved, huge amounts of money. I mean, it's almost like the rock and roll business before the Internet took it down, you know. But I think the Internet might take the art market down, you know, and uh, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so they don't, they don't really want to change anything. They're not, I'm in the change business. They're not in the change business. They just want to be part of it. So they just kind of customize their work. They you know, to fit into the market. So I think it does, I think it really does. You know, there are anarchists, you know, but they're not, they're not, you know, they're not in the forefront of the whole thing. Uh, You know, there's still good art being made. That's for sure. 
you know, and, and it's, it's, I think historically it's the same. You know, all those crummy artists always made the money, and and there were always people like lurking in the background, you know, uh, trying to upset things or change things. Or so there's hope. No, there's lots of hope. You know, it's just that this is a this, this country's so uncivilized. We don't we don't really we don't really understand what's going on. You know, in Europe there's still good artists. You know, but here, um, this is America. You know, we're we're not open. We're just, we're not even open to, to uh, you know, having art in the public schools. You know, it's a, there's a German dealer who passed away now. He always said, you know, America's not a civilized country. You know, he told me that a long, long time ago. And, and it's really becoming more and more and more true. I mean, the, the last progressive president was Dwight Eisenhower. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, and he was a Republican. And um, this isn't a progressive country. You know, it's like we're we're working off a constitution that's two hundred and something years old and the Bible, and uh, you know, there aren't any there aren't any answers. You know, to be a progressive, you can't quote something that was. You know, yeah. written 250 years ago. I mean, it's just crazy. Or 4,000 years yeah. ago. Yeah, 4,000 <laughs> years ago or wherever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy, you know. And and it's, um, you know, how often do you see the president of the United States going to an art museum? Never. You'll, you know, you could, you could lose votes doing that. You know, yeah. they're, they're always going to the church with their Bible. Right. But there seems to be a lot of conservatism going on in Europe too. I mean, with the yeah. in the UK, they have a conservative um, political force, and of course, look at what happened in Italy and um, France even, isn't looking great at the moment. Right. Either. So yeah. there's a conservative movement in the world in general. Yeah, but, um, and I, I think it's similar to the art market. It's like people are looking for uh, they're looking to solve new problems with old solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like in a time of crisis where they're just going, trying to, or going to what they perceive to be a safe, tried way of dealing with uh, uncertainty. Yeah, they're looking at history to solve problems. They're looking to the Bible to solve problems. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm, my solution to the problem, here's my solution to the problem. I'm more concerned about the environment than I am all these other issues. I think that's, you know, and I think that uh, somebody, I don't think anybody should be in charge of any kind of government or decisions that's over 40 years old. Because it's it's not our world. It's not my world anymore, you know. Uh, um, <clears throat> I don't get to decide about pollution. You know, I won't be around. It'll be fine. You know, I'm 75. Everything's going to be fine. But not for somebody my daughter's age. It's not going to be fine. Yeah, Art Basel will be underwater by that time. Oh, that's a good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I can. Uh, yeah. I hope I can turn yeah. the valve on. <laughs> You're listening to the People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons, and I'm Ben White. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page. And hey, right now, Insert Blanc is running a Kickstarter campaign 
uh, from June 26th through August 3rd, 2015. We're raising money for the press and our general projects division, and for this podcast, The People, you can go to kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash insert blanc press. And, uh, you know, if you can donate a dollar or $10,000, really, whatever you can, uh, we've got great rewards there for you. Uh, just show your support and keep listening to the people. Thanks. Now back to our conversation with Richard Jackson and Shanae Infinity Pine. Who, who, who can you say is doing something interesting today that you think is disruptive or has some kind of strong statement against or against maybe like this kind of bland? Well, uh, I'm not that much in touch launch. with things, you know. I, I mean, I... Um, I'm inter- I'm interested in Alex Israel, you know. I mean, the, everybody uh, gives me a bad time about it, you know. They just think, well, mm, he's you know senile. But the thing is, is that um, basically he comes from a different place. He comes from a place that I always thought uh, art might come from. Comes from a, a sort of a wealthy background, and doesn't really maybe have to work. But then they get involved in this, and so, and I think he understands the market. He he understands how it works, and um, I think he, you know, I think you know, the galleries were all upset. That was that's sort of like what triggered the whole thing in my mind. You know, it's like, what are they so upset about it? He, you know, you know, uh, he sold a painting at auction for a million dollars. Hey, big deal. You know, a million is yesterday's 100, you know? It's like, yeah. it's But he crazy. cut the gallery out of it, was the... Yeah, he cut the, the gallery out, but who cares, you know? Like, I mean, they, they don't think that the work is that good, but lots of bad work sells for a lot of money. It's, I, I, I'm not insulted by that. I like the fact that I'm not sure, you know? I called him up and told him I want to talk to him, <clears throat> But we haven't done that yet. He's too busy. <laughs> but, but, but I think the thing is, is that, that he's manipulating the whole thing, which is kind of interesting. He's taking a very, you know, it's almost like Warhol or something. That whole group, that whole Warhol thing was interesting because it was totally amoral. They didn't make any judgments, value judgments. And I think that's kind of where it's operating on that level. Everybody's upset because it's not good enough. What, good enough, bad enough, whatever. Who, who the hell cares? And that amorality gives them a certain degree of agency, right? Like allows them to take the wheel in a way mm-hmm. that they weren't able to before. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, you know, he's not trying to fit in. Yeah. I mean, even though he is fitting in, they'll, but that's the way it goes, you know. Right, right. I mean, if the coll- if the collectors can be amoral, why can't the artists? And yeah, and hopefully something will happen in that realm. I don't know to like change change whatever is going on a little bit. Whether it's the art bubble actually popping or artists going in and helping to pop that bubble a little bit. But right. somebody know. will come along. They always do. Yeah, and, and and it'll change. It'll get it'll get better. It'll get worse. It'll get better. It'll get worse. That's the way it goes. Yeah, you know, it's just cyclical. And uh, you know, I've seen it cycle a lot of times. Yeah, you know, and uh, there's times when I'm on the outside looking in. I mean, I'm always on the outside looking in, but it's a lot better on the outside than on the inside. 
hey, how would you like to be on the inside looking oh out? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like a big bubble, you know, like a big balloon. You're pushing against it from the outside, and all of a sudden you fall inside. Yeah. Then you're in. Yeah. You know, yeah. then then you're part of the establishment. You know, you've been accepted by a bunch of creepy people. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> and, horrific you know. the way you describe <laughs> yeah. it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you've convinced a bunch of creepy people you're okay, and you belong in there with them. But... Um, you know, there are good artists inside the bubble, that's for sure. You know, I mean, there's, you know, it's like a concentric circles, you know. There's like very good artists in the middle and then everybody on them. You're describing Dante's hell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I just um, wanted to, there's a great um, presentation by Todd Levin at, um, at Art Cologne. And it's it was incredible because he's talking about the collector's he's doing a presentation about the market and the way we've been describing it um, to these collectors who were there to buy art. And at the time he said that um, collectors are now embraced as celebrities in and of themselves as artists were in the past. And it reminded me of what you said once um, was artists these days are trying to be more like collectors and collectors are trying to be more like artists. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's been going on for a long time. You know, like the, all the collectors live in a big white box, you know, and they've kind of you know, they, the, the kitchen, you know, is just a counter and, you know, in the middle of the room and all that stuff. It's just like an artist's studio. And then the artists all have, you know, they want to have all the same thing that collectors have. You know, they just kind of come together. You know, some artists are just in awe of collectors because they have money. You know, and, and I think they, they all get together. They want to meet each other and talk to each other. And, you know, it's they want to brag that they were in so-and-so's Bentley or something, you know, and it's just like, but artists are, they're, they're more like, they're more like rock and roll stars now. They really are. They're special in a certain sense, you know, not, not like real rock and roll people that have millions of followers, but you know, they only need a few followers with millions of dollars. That's all. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like the collectors are also becoming sort of celebrities in and of themselves as well? Well, some of them are. Some of them are celebrities and they think they're artists, you know, and we have to endure those people. But they've always been around, you know, they, they've always been around. You know, there's always been a, a celebrity who thinks they're an artist. And, uh, you know. That's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't really You're not care. trying to be a celebrity. No, sure. I don't really care. I don't care about them or I don't care to be like them. So. And I always love what Richard says. I don't really care about artists. You don't, I mean, you're not, you, you don't necessarily always choose to have, you have plenty of friends that are artists, but it's not, it's not a need that you have to kind of surround yourself with artists all the time. You, you have a lot of other interests and hobbies. Yeah, there, I, I can learn more from people who aren't artists in a way. You know, like I can learn something I don't know and or be surprised by something that they know. And, you know, it's it can be more interesting. You know, uh, I think that, you know, back to the celebrity thing, I think that's a little bit a problem because I'm not from Los Angeles. I, I have no allegiance to this place, you know. Um, like if you pick up the the section of the paper, you know, that's the art section. It's it, always got a film on the front cover, yeah, something about yeah. a new movie. Yeah, and there's 90% yeah. of it. And then there's a couple paragraphs in there about... About some, actual art. Yeah, yeah. About yeah. art. And, and I think that's the problem. And the problem is, is that a lot of the collectors 
are involved in that industry. And we're supposed to revere those clowns. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, because they think they're artists. So we've talked a lot about painting. So, um, and I know you're saying that you're kind of, you don't even paint anymore. So um, you send things over to China, as you said. Um, and there's obviously been all these proclaimed deaths and rebirths of painting within your lifetime and before. Um, do you think painting is dead now? What do you think the status of painting is today? Um, no. Uh, hmm. Well, it depends on what kind of painting. Uh, I think painting, making painting is as objects and hanging them on the wall. I, I don't see any... Uh, I don't see any future in that unless you can draw, you know, and convey ideas. I, I don't see any future in just mucking around with paint. It's just become kind of a, an area that's described by the materials involved. You know, it's like that guy that came over and said he wanted to talk about the old days. He introduced himself as a painter. He didn't even give me his name. You know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, and I didn't ask. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's just, it's... It's like, you know, I mean, in the schools, they've done that. They've separated the mediums, you know, they're, they're, and they've separated them by materials used, clay, you know. I mean, out at Long Beach, I lectured out at Long Beach State, and, and they had, I think, like three subdivisions of, of sculpture, yeah. Wood. You could get a you could get a master you still can. You can get a master's degree in wood. Come on. Wood? It's the only material you're allowed <laughs> yeah. to use. Yeah, and then there's painting and then there's clay and then there's jewelry and you know I, I don't know if the jewelry's broken down into silver, gold, yeah. but that's what <laughs> institutions do. You know, I mean see that's why I quit school. Because what happened is in the 1950s, when I went to school, the, they started the state universities because they needed two things. They needed teachers in a bad way after the war, and they needed engineers. So that's where I got into engineering. And then all these teachers, what happened is, is they had no teachers, so all the teachers came out from the Midwest. And when they came out from the Midwest, it's just like it is now. You know, they're still grinding stones and they're, you know, they're still making etching and they're doing all that stuff that has no relevance whatsoever. And so they set up these state universities. And when you set up a program, you can put anything you want into that program. So they broke it down by categories because that's where they came from. Hmm. And every time, you, you know, when I taught at UCLA, it was always we're going to get together and we're going to put all the mediums into one thing and we're just going to put up a maypole and we're going to dance around it all together. You know, painting is going to merge with sculpture and everything. So interdisciplinary studies, basically. Yeah, but, but interdi that's a bunch of crap because that's not the way money's allotted. The painting and the painting, here's the problem with painting. Why it might be dead. These people might kill it. The painters might kill it. And the reason is, is that they think that painting and drawing are the foundations for all the arts. So they get all the money. It's like math and science kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And if you go to a school, still, the largest single item in the budget for an art department is going to be nude models. Wow. Which has no relevance. 
Tell me then why you said it's if it, people can draw, then maybe there is a f- sort of a future or like there's the potential for something. So how does that play into well, it? Well, yeah, I think there's more potential. Uh, being able to draw and, and, and sort of deal with ideas. You know, it's an easier way to deal with ideas than an abstract painting. I mean, you can still deal with ideas. And I don't know what they are, you know. <laughs> but just a basic, like, skill set of representation with simple tools like a pencil and a piece of paper, you're saying, is very helpful. Like, I've seen your drawings of the, of the stacks. That was incredible, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean, they're, they look architectural because you know engineering. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, and it's just like, okay, I get it. I get what this is You can convey your idea. That's what right. you're saying, right. Yeah. Yeah, and you like I often have heard you say that you know artists these days they can't they can't even like build a canvas you know what I yeah. mean or painters can't even build a canvas like people just don't have technical skills and they need yeah. to have technical skills coupled with creative skills so there needs to be yeah it's a funny deal because there's uh, you know there's like having no skills and then there's wood yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, the extremes, you know what I mean yeah. too many skills right. just limited skills or. You know, I mean, that's the whole problem. I mean, the whole, the whole problem in America is, is that it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's broken down into categories like that. You know, and it's like when you go to the doctor. You know, like, okay, you have a problem with your shoulder, so they send you to an, uh, you know, a shoulder specialist, and then they give you some prescription that's ruining your liver. Well, yeah. you know, you have to go to a liver specialist, you know. <laughs> And then, you know, the next thing you know, you're on dialysis. <laughs> but, but the thing is, you know, and, and I think that's that's the problem, you know. I mean, what I try to do is use everything. But also, not having any skills doesn't matter anymore. I don't think it matters, you know. Jeff Koons doesn't have any skills. He has managerial skills mm-hmm. and, and, and aesthetic skills. So, right. you know, and he, in, in my view, he's a great artist, you know, so... Well, I'm not, I, you know, I don't know. There's no answer for sure. But. So right. painting's not dead. It's just on dialysis. It's yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's got a problem. Check. Yeah, they, yeah, probably liver failure from <laughs> drinking. <laughs> so, okay, we talked about the end of painting, maybe or maybe not. And so the question of the end and the we mentioned earlier the art market. There has to be an end to the insanity of what's going on today. I mean, what's your prediction about the end? You mentioned the internet. Can you talk more about that? Well, I think, you know, the internet, I mean, there are a lot of virtual galleries, you know, all that goes on. And then artists, you know, have access, you know, they can they can market their own work. I don't know if that's successful yet, or I don't really know, you know, like I'm, I don't, I'm not... But I do know that you know I know I do know that I'm too old to understand the whole thing. But I but I'm very optimistic about it. It destroyed the music industry, hmm. you know, the way it was. It's restructured it, and the film industry to some degree. And uh, so I kind of think it can, you know. I mean, I don't really understand the whole thing. But what I do know is like, I showed it at a gallery here in town, you know, and uh, and. I was preparing it, so I went by the gallery and I was making measurements and everything. And then there's a long table and there's like six people sitting there and they all have their laptops open. And I thought, God, don't these people ever work? You know, what the hell are they doing all day? They're working. Mm -hmm. You know, they're selling stuff and people are calling in and they're sending them this and sending them that. And um, so that could all be done out of your living room. 
So yeah. there doesn't need to be an object, maybe, at the end of the day. No. We're going back to conceptual yeah. or minimal minimal minimalism in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, work sells over the internet. So, but, you know, that's, you know, for me, the art fairs have kind of changed the market in a negative sense because my work depends on uh, on people going to a place and it being an experience and it and and now they don't have to do that they don't have to go to galleries anymore they can go online and buy work they can they can see it on a on on Flickr or on whatever Instagram yeah, they can you see know, an installation I, I have people say your show in London looked great I said, Jesus, when were you in London? Oh, wait a minute. You know, they 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 look it up on the internet, yeah. and and you know, the, like the guy that works for me is uh, he's he's you know, like I said, thirty or around that. He's online every night looking at stuff. You know, my thing is, you know, uh, I mean, the art fairs are they're powerful. Yeah, I mean, there was a gallery, a small group gallery here in Chinatown called Telic. And at some point, they just put together this video starting in like 1980. And you get a little, you know, it's a map of the world. And you get a little dot, a little pin each time a new art fair started. And, you know, it starts in 1980. And it's like, and then, you know. Looks like a porcupine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so we've created, the collectors have decided, yeah, bring the party to us and give us a nice space where we can like hang out and actually see the work in person and buy the stuff but they've dictated terms basically and everybody is colluded and gone along with it well, so. it's accessible well, you know, right it, it makes it accessible for it everybody makes, all yeah. in one spot every it's like a it's well, like well it's a convention right jason a, rhodes had a you know he had a good take on the whole thing you know the kind of the last conversation we had was uh, he said you know the art fairs are here to stay they're not yeah. going to go away and so he kind of customized it he had that truck and he took it down there and he turned it into a disco and a nightclub and lots of coke and all that stuff and that's kind of what it is anyway you yeah. know and he said look you know um um it's not going to go away. We just have to figure out a way to um, to put in a nice term, screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I think that, you know, I mean, Jason was a real, he was a real artist. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Jackson and Sinead Finnerty Pine, thank you for being on the people. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Thanks, guys. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Been fun. Thank you. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. Our theme music is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net, click on The People at the top of the page. And uh, don't forget, we've got that Kickstarter going. Go to uh, kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash insertblancpress. Donate. We've got great rewards. And thank you so much.